This is Artistic Intelligence, where we explore the intersection of art, sustainability, and technology. This show is brought to you in partnership with the United Nations ITU AI for Good, Changing the Story podcast, and State. Now let's join your co-hosts, Neil Sahota and Michael Ashley. Welcome to another episode of Artistic Intelligence. Got a fantastic guest today, Janet Raffner. She's a doctoral researcher in hybrid intelligence. She was formerly a U.S. Fulbright Fellow with degrees in physics and studio art. Her current research includes creativity, computational citizen science, and hybrid intelligence. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Neil. It's great to be here, and I'm really excited for our conversation. Thank you, Janet. We are too. So, Janet, can you tell us a little bit about your story, your backstory, and how you came to be where you are today? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, so I'm not quite sure how far back you want me to go, <laughs> um, but I think that uh, it's worth it to mention uh, my a little bit on my upbringing. I was actually homeschooled. Um, my my mother's a Montessori teacher, and both my parents were very involved in my education. And it's it uh, started from a young age to uh, to explore concepts from many different angles and different lenses. Um, and so so after that, uh, when when I was at university, I was studying both physics and studio art. Um, and I was uh, tried uh, sometimes, uh, well, several times failed, a few times succeeded at uh, combining them, um, or finding interesting ways of uh, weaving in physics uh, and art. And so uh, during my time as an undergraduate, I uh, did an internship um, at the University of Paris Sud in Marseille um, in France. And I worked with a physicist, uh, Julian Bobroff, um, and uh, he had, was in fundamental physics, but he left that discipline uh, to uh, partner with some of the top design schools in Paris, uh, creating large-scale installations and digital media animation on concepts in physics. So after that, uh, I, I finished my degrees um, back in the States. I'm, I'm from the States. and. Um, I wasn't quite ready to go directly into graduate school uh, or directly into what I, I thought I would want to do, physics graduate school. And so I applied for a what's called a Fulbright Fellowship to study how complex phenomena is, con is conveyed visually. And that is what brought me to Denmark, um, where I am still now currently. Um, and I was there. They, the fellowship was a year, and I um, got to do lots of different cool things, stop motion animation, game design, um, working on projects from uh, quantum physics to fluid dynamics, also uh, cognition. Um, and, and after that, I decided to stay and continue working with uh, the team from my fellowship. And I did a master's degree um, in uh, at uh, the University of Copenhagen um, around one of my own citizen science games. So I developed around a concept in fluid dynamics. I also did a, a, an art exhibition around it to, to reach out to the general public. Um, and now I'm uh, in a position um, at, uh, at Aarhus University, Center for Hybrid Intelligence. Um, and uh, my research, as you said, spans everything from creativity and cognition to this computational citizen science um, to hybrid intelligence. And uh, that's, that's where I am now. That's been the, the past uh, years. 
I feel like you've already done like five lifetimes worth of work <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> and there still aren't enough hours in the day. But uh, I should say that I feel so grateful and so lucky that I get to do something that I love. And even when it's tiring and it's uh, exhausting, that uh, that is certainly a gift to be able to uh, work on interesting topics with Re with a really great team and really cool collaborators all over the world. So that, that, that makes it worth it. Well, that's awesome. A lot, lot to unpack here, I think. Let me, mm -hmm. let me start with, you know, we, we introduced this word hybrid intelligence. I think maybe for the audience, could you share a little bit more about what, what exactly is that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, hybrid intelligence in very broad terms is essentially finding optimal synergies between humans and artificial intelligence. And to uh, to develop uh, these uh, synergies and the interactions between the two. So very much looking at what the interface has to be. Um, and my uh, research group here, we are the Center for Hybrid Intelligence, um, and our work spans natural sciences, like I said, quantum physics, fluid dynamics, to social sciences and behavioral economics. Think shared resources, prisoners' dilemma, uh, nudging in complex environments science um, and uh, the angle that we take on hybrid intelligence is to focus very much on the human <laughs> and to understand how the human mind works and then where where in the loop <laughs> the, the human should be placed um, and how can uh, we we create these synergies without um, detracting from the human value so then there's um, the, the creative component component to all this too and the artistic component. Um, can you talk about that aspect of your work when it comes to the, the art side too and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am uh, leading a project called CREA, which is on creativity. <laughs> and uh, very sort of selfishly, I was interested in creativity because uh, in this uh, non-traditional background I have described to you. Um, I, I sometimes wonder how, how did I do that? Why did I, I find this uh, path? And I wonder how much um, was it my upbringing? Was it education? What components of it is stimulated certain uh, creative pathways for me? And so I've interested first in that. Um, and then it sort of expands out to with this uh, ever-growing AI, people are saying, why can, can AI become creative? Um, if it can create, if there are artificial intelligence that can create music and art that people can't recognize apart from some of the world masters, which is, is reality, there are <laughs> projects like that out there, then um, what, what does it mean to be a creative person? Are we uh, qualifying it in the right ways? Um, and then sort of uh, in the hybrid intelligence sense, um, how can AI potentially help me be more creative? So is there a blend for this uh, creative, almost a, a support tool uh, from an AI to help people um, explore and exploit their own creativity? So I think it's just this, fascinating, nuanced, complex, and contextual concept that uh, I'm, I'm really me mesmerized with. Uh, and so I've, I've delved deep into that. Um, and of course, that has a, a, a heavy weight towards uh, art and uh, in, in my case, uh, image generation. So the, I, I'm not sure how much you want me to go into it now, but I can talk a little bit about one of the projects 
this one CREA that is on using AI and uh, humans for image generation. Yeah, we'd love to. Really, yeah. Great. Um, so uh, just to, to get everyone on the same page, um, creativity is uh, generally considered to be novelty and appropriateness. So when you think of something, is it novel? <laughs> and is it appropriate or is it valuable? So you can have something that's uh, very novel but has no value or is a bit strange and then maybe it's not so creative. And on the other side, you can have something that's very valuable but uh, not, not at all original or novel. Um, and, and for this, uh, you need both domain-relevant skills um, and general creativity-relevant skills, as well as a motivation for a task. So those are generally considered to be the ingredients for a creative process. Um, and in, in my mind, one of the, the big reasons for having a hybrid system, which allows uh, the human to interact with an AI, is to lower that threshold for the domain relevant skills. Um, so in, in my uh, project, uh, Crea Blender, uh, where humans are uh, mel melding different images uh, to create a product uh, using what's called a GAN, which is a specific type of neural network. Um, if we did the same type of experiment with uh, oil paint, for example, so a person painting, um, then you would have to find uh, 30 people who would uh, be willing to uh, donate years of their time to uh, learn how to oil paint and then do the particular uh, creativity studies with that. But when you have something like uh, the interface we have, a Crea Blender, um, then there's a quite a low threshold for uh, participants to... Uh, make something that's really cool to see and, and very visually either appealing in, in some way. So I, I, I tend not to say beautiful because there can be lots of artwork that's very cool, but not necessarily beautiful. So interesting. Um, uh, with with uh, lo lowering the threshold for that domain-specific uh, skills. So um, that's that's the system. It's image uh, blending. Um, and it's this Crea Blender allows players to blend existing images, um, and it's it's used what's called actually a big GAN, if anyone knows what that is, <laughs> but it's, it's basically just some neural networks that uh, are trained on images, um, and that allows people to adjust sliders uh, and then uh, meld together different images, and we have different creativity prompts around that. So a prompt could be uh, create as many uh, interesting animal-like creatures as possible. And then we want to see how many people create, how different they are that people create, um, and how um, uh, how they uh, jump between categories. For example, are they making ones that all sort of look like dogs? Or are they making ones that sort of look like dogs, then sort of look like unicorns, or sort of look like fish? And how you can jump between categories. So playing this game and doing this, I mean, what do you extrapolate by what they're blending together? Is there, are we looking for patterns from some insight? Is it just trying to unlock the secrets of creativity? <laughs> unlock the secrets of creativity. <laughs> that is the million dollar question there. <laughs> so uh, actually um, we have three different modes within uh, each of our games. And, and for this, uh, this point, I'll talk about Crea Blender. Uh, one mode is divergent thinking. One mode is convergent thinking, and one is an open play mode. And so in traditional creativity research, um, most tests and evaluations are in this category of divergent thinking. 
And it's not really creativity, but it has a lot of the key components of it. And so that's what I was talking about. This, um, it's called flexibility, fluency, and originality. And so fluency is just, it's a bit like foraging. So how many can you make? Just the sheer number that someone can produce. And so that has a certain value, but that's not just it. Then you also want to look at this flexibility, which is that category switching. So moving from, from the dogs to the fish, to the birds, to some alien creature. And then you want to talk about originality. So in this, uh, if we have, say, 100 people playing, at, playing the interface, how many images are uniquely created by only one person? So what's in that landscape of images that you have to blend, that's, that space from all the different images, are there some that only a few people find that they can uh, create? And so that would have a very high um, originality score. So that's one component. That's, these are, those are the, the divergent thinking components. And then you have this concept of convergent thinking, which is uh, being able to choose from many possible solutions, what's the path to go down? And can you elaborate on that? So you can say, I'm gonna create 100 different solutions, but then so what? You, you have to pick one and elaborate on it. And you can think about that in the real world. For example, you have a, um, a, a, a producer at a recording studio. They hear lots of singles and then they have to hear someone and say, okay, yeah, that's the good one to go down. That's where there's a lot of um, uh, opportunity and possibility. And so in the convergent thinking mode, uh, we give uh, participants a set, three sets of three images and a target image. And they have to choose which of the three sets of target images they think produced the, uh, the target image. So three sets of uh, images, which one created the target image? And then they actually have to create it. Um, so then we can see both their ability to recognize, so what's their gut instinct when they're given uh, possibilities, and then how well are they actually able to reprodu reproduce it. And then in the last one is the open play mode. That's the free-for-all. So we are just uh, letting people play it, mess around with the system, create different images, and we look at how their behavior in the first two, which are a little bit more uh, tailored, um, uh, relate to their behavior in the last one, the, the, the free-for-all mode. So um, to go back to something you said earlier, it sounds like when you're going back to the example of people, you said it would take several years to be good at oil painting. It sounds like in a lot of ways you're helping people who may not have artistic abilities to do things. And in that way, it sounds like they're getting almost AI superpowers. I mean, is that is that understanding correct where you're augmenting people's uh, natural abilities or lack of abilities? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's also uh, what uh, what I mentioned in the beginning. My in, my curiosity in this um, creativity and AI is how can we have AI to help support processes or ideas, creations that we want, but we might not necessarily have the domain relevant skills to do it. If if you gave me a violin, no one would be with me. But, but I would be very sad if that was my only measure of creativity. So uh, that's, that's exactly what, what, uh, what we're trying to do, is to lower that threshold. But a key factor is to not lose control. So, so, not, so that the human, the participant, can still exhibit control over the AI system. And we just did a big study on that now um, to see whether or not people do exhibit control 
over Crayup Blender. So when they're faced with it, then they first say, oh, what's happening? I'm moving these sliders and then I get an image. It's not what I wanted. Um, and then we see how they uh, learn to work with the AI. And it's very interesting. We did what's called uh, Think Aloud interviews. Um, and so the participants talked about, okay, now I'm, I, I want to make something animal-like. This looks like it's gonna maybe make a fish. It's a little bit, it smooths it out. So I'm gonna try and take that element of smoothness um, and put it into my uh, target image. And so that was really cool that people were able to, um, to collaborate with the AI and to have it in this uh, system where they could identify what they wanted and then produce an image that was actually really nice and interesting and you might actually want to have uh, on your wall, um, which, which could be different than if you just gave a bunch of people some oil paints. <laughs> So, but then going with that idea for a moment, where, if we're looking at it from a holistic standpoint, um, are we entering a world where people who don't have any natural artistic abilities suddenly have these? And if that's the case, um, for the longest time, you know, developing a craft, whether it be painting or music or writing or acting, took years to develop. What does that mean for humanity if suddenly, we have these things that allow us to be better versions of ourselves. Well, I think that um, that's a big generalization uh, going from something from that's image blending to <laughs> everyone in their trades and their crafts, because uh, this has relatively low tactile skills um, mm -hmm. that you need. Um, but if you take something, for example, um, uh, blowing glass, Mm -hmm. That is something that requires a lot more dexterity um, or the same with uh, printmaking where you're uh, engraving, etching something yourself. <laughs> um, that can take a lot more dexterity. And so um, I, I don't feel uh, so much that we are, we are nearing a point where uh, the, the AI can um, uh, take over these <laughs> or um, uh, replace a lot of these technical skills. But my, my hopes is that it can begin to, uh, to supplement the uh, maybe more tedious sides of the work and give room for people to uh, enjoy the more expressive aspects of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. You're giving me hope, Janet, because I can't even draw a stick figure. So, Well, you should try <laughs> Crayon Blender and see what types of cool images you can make. I, I, I will. I hear you guys are going to have an online version coming out soon. Is that right? Yes, we are. Um, so we are doing our uh, internal testing now. Um, and I can contest that it does work. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I hope that it will be uh, online, hopefully, in the next uh, couple of weeks or months. So um, I uh, look forward to hearing uh, how both of you guys like playing with it and seeing what type of image uh, you want to make. All right, I can't, wait. I can't wait to try it. And we'll make sure the audience has uh, the link on your artist page so when it's out, they can Absolutely. try it as well. <laughs> I, uh, I'm kind of curious here because there's this ongoing debate about can AI create, can it imagine? And I'm of the mindset that right now it can't because it can only do what we teach it. I don't know how you teach creativity and imagination. And I'm wondering, because I, I get kind of augmenting our skills through technology, 
but do you think we'll ever achieve a point where a machine will actually be able to imagine and create some sort of unique form of art? So I can can a, a machine imagine and create a unique form of art? I think our answer is already yes uh, to that. Um, and I, I don't, don't quote me on all the references now, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I can send them later. There are some uh, studies that show, particularly in music, um, that there are uh, AIs that have created uh, um, exquisite pieces um, and have been tested uh, in, by an audience of expert listeners between what was a piece that was written by one of the masters and um, a piece that was uh, written by an AI. So if we are looking at it in the sense of a creative product, yes, AI can make that. But a, a creative product is different than a creative person. Uh, so in creativity, we have, uh, they call it the four Ps. Um, uh, there's the product, the person, uh, the uh, process, and what they call the press, which is the environment. Um, and so I think that we, are, we have achieved <laughs> creative products made by AI, but uh, the creative person itself or the creative entity, we still have a long ways to go. The question of whether we can ever have it, I'm of a of a mindset that um, I I would like to see why we can't before saying that we can't. So we we don't know now, but we also don't know that we can't do it now. Um, and I think that we have to learn a lot more about what creativity means to a person to be a creative person before we can say it can or cannot happen in an AI. And that's the same thing I'd say. We we know that the AI can make a creative. Um, a piece of uh, music or art, but then we have to evaluate, is that the threshold for being creative is being able to make something like that? And we don't know. Well, so it's, a, it's an interesting question and uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. In the, in the meantime, uh, I wonder if you wanna tell us about any of the other creative endeavors that you're working on, things that we haven't discussed so far that you would like to share with our audience. Yeah, well, I think that I want to talk a little bit about um, the methodology for CREA, um, that it's citizen science and then it's a game, <laughs> because I think that you could say a lot of times, why are, uh, why would you use a game to, to test this versus being with people in, in the real world? Um, and why are you trying to use this sort of funny concept of citizen science? Um, and there, there are a couple of reasons for that, which really uh, make it uh, possible to do such an interesting study. Um, and uh, the first part uh, is why the game? Uh, because often um, our current studies of how um, uh, people behave, whether they're psychological experiments or behavioral studies are done in a laboratory. Uh, and it's typically by uh, university students who get paid to do it with pizza. They come in and they spend an hour uh, uh, doing an activity. I know I've participated in these for the free pizza. Um, are uh, basing their findings on. Um, and when you uh, can sort of break out of that and have something online for the public to participate in, you can have a much richer uh, test bed. Um, and so I think that's really a key uh, issue for this. Um, and additionally to that, not just having uh, the 
um, the more people, but in this diversity, uh, we're not just talking about any university students. They typically come from these weird countries. <laughs> they call them Western, uh, industrialized, uh, educated, rich, and democratic. Um, and we really need to have a, an understanding of what creativity means to everyone uh, in all societal, uh, cultural contexts. And its creativity has been uh, marked now many years on the World Economic Forum's top skills. And if all of our assessments are coming from a Western perspective, I think that that is really problematic. Um, and so we um, hope that uh, having such a, an online uh, game-based uh, portfolio uh, will allow us to reach a, a broader um, an audi broader audience and have more reliable, interesting, real data. Um, so I think that that's <laughs> a creative approach. You asked, okay, what else creative you're doing? I yeah. think that's a creative approach to, to tackling sure. the, the problem. Yeah. I guess, I guess we never really think about what does creative really mean? We kind of just assume things and yeah. assume it's probably universal, but it sounds like you've found things that are a little different. Is that a, a fair statement? That Yeah, I mean, also um, a, some, a method that has become uh, popular for in social science experiments to get a lot of data um, is using uh, paid studies. So, for example, Amazon Mechanical Turk, if you're familiar with that, um, many behavioral studies in social sciences um, and uh, behavioral sciences use that to get data for their studies. But we actually found on uh, another one of our projects that's on uh, cognition, so um, basic and executive cognitive skills, that the, <laughs> the uh, M-Turkers basically did everything they could to circumvent the problem and just finish it <laughs> as soon as they could to get the most money. Um, but that is actually different than when you have a, a citizen scientist playing who has this intrinsic motivation for saying, yeah, I want to contribute to a research question. I have some more motivation for it. And there's this pact between the citizen and the scientist. Um, and you can see it in the data. It's not just uh, this sense that we think it's right to do, right to have this um, way of research, but you can, I do, <laughs> but uh, you can also really see it in the data when you can see the players that are, what they're hitting to get out of the, the finish the task as quickly as possible and collect their pocket money. So <laughs> I think that it's um, a, a very interesting field to be keeping an eye on how citizen science um, expands. And I think it, both um, because we're, it's this test bed for also exploring human and artificial intelligence in general. So exploring human and AI interactions in all sorts of problems. Um, so I, I recommend people keep an eye on citizen science. That's good. That's, that's a good thing to, to consider. Um, so where are your perspectives in from observing the way that AI and humanity is interacting? To go back to about a few sentences back, from your experiences and what you've observed so far, what are your reflections? So perhaps you can be a little bit more uh, specific there. Are you talking about um, what I think is currently happening in uh, the state of AI and humans? Uh, what do I, and also, AI, are you talking about domain specific, 
gen uh, um, uh, general artificial intelligence um, or well, artificial I meant, I meant yes. What, what do you think is going on right now in terms of the, the current situation? And if you could even, let's say, look out a few more years, what do you think the future would hold in terms of um, the confluence of, of artificial intelligence and humanity working together? Well, I think that uh, we're, uh, AI, it's not going anywhere. Um, and, and the rise of it sort of brings fundamental innovations um, and often disruptive changes. Uh, in many domains, um, but you sort of get these two camps. You get the techno enthusiasts fascinated by the potential of it, and then you get the techno skepticists who fear that it's going to totally replace the the human workforce. Um, and I I believe um, that the solution lies in this hybrid intelligence. Um, so finding these interactions that uh, optimal optimally levy strengths of both humans and machines. Um, but the real challenge uh, is to develop these uh, human-in-the-loop systems um, that not only uh, profit uh, a, a productivity increase, um, but also increase human agency. Mm -hmm. um, I think that so many applications are driven by commercial considerations, uh, and of mm -hmm. course I, I understand that. Someone has to pay the bills. Um, but we really need to have a focus on AI that increases the human agency. And that goes back to this discussion about uh, what citizen science has to offer. Um, and I think it's this invaluable testbed for this implementation of human-centered AI in the 21st century. Because unlike crowdsourcing or most um, in industry-driven applications, uh, citizen science has this sort of deep, intrinsic, inscribed cultural uh, set of values uh, because it's it's uh, 200 years old the, that field um, and projects are driven entirely to maximize are not driven entirely to maximize efficiency um, of a problem or of the process, but also to ensure that it happens in an inclusive way, so that the participants in pay, uh, obtain this uh, intrinsic individual value from their participation. So I think that's really uh, centered to it. So uh, the, the short word is hybrid intelligence. <laughs> if you want that uh, distilled down, the, the big takeaway from it would be hybrid intelligence, that uh, we, we're not going um, in a path of uh, either this complete techno-enthusiasm or techno-skepticism, um, but hybrid intelligence will help us unravel more about the human mind. And if we if we do it the right way, and I, I suggest citizen science is a good way to do it, um, mm -hmm. then we can um, obtain, uh, and the people can obtain intrinsic individual value as well. Mm -hmm. I think you, you really bring up a powerful point, Janet. Like my, my good buddy, Peter Voss, always talks about that, why haven't we done more, accomplished more of these grandiose ideas because everyone's kind of focused on the ROI. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making money, but if we're driven by more short-term goals, we kind of limit the possibilities. And I think that's why like a lot of people are surprised that there's a lot of artists using like AI technology for their work. And I'm just wondering, you know, how do we like overcome this gap? Because I'm a big believer about social enterprise, social entrepreneurship. There's probably this vast untapped potential out there how can we kind of move past this ROI short-term type of mindset into 
let's make a little bit more investment and unlock a lot more value for everybody. So, so Neil, I'm sorry, I'm going to sound like a broken record, <laughs> but I really think citizen science is key. I think that that methodology that opens it up to the people and the general public that doesn't keep it in this sort of closed Silicon Valley and uh, other uh, type of mindset, you have to have a certain degree, a certain uh, a pedigree almost uh, to, to contribute, to understand, to be part of the conversation. I think that's a big issue. And we're uh, something that we, <laughs> uh, I, I've tried to be pretty optimistic in the, the talk today, but I think it is a really real concern of a, of a growing socioeconomic divide of those who understand and control artificial intelligence and those who uh, so it, it will be in everyone's lives. That's inevitable. But there are going to be ones who understand it and control it and those who are, are simply affected by it. And I think that we need to start um, translating <laughs> these things to the general public, uh, educating everyone on how AI is in their lives. Um, because I think that we, we are well beyond the point where it lies only in certain types of fancy computers um, and it's out in, in the real world, everything from um, farming, there are uh, AI uh, controlled farms now, uh, that's, or, or aspects of them, for example, their, their water infrastructure are controlled by artificial intelligence. That has a direct implication affect me. Well, it does, <laughs> based on controlling the water supply. So this is, sorry, this is a bit long-winded. Um, but uh, I think that a key is public involvement in, uh, pr public participation involvement in the scientific research, both the communication, the dissemination, as well as data collection, understanding um, uh, how we train our AI um, and for what contexts. And I think that we just need to have many, many more people from the general public involved in this. What would you say to somebody that, that says from the older generation who's having trouble even getting on a Facebook or someone that is not prone? I'd say they're pretty lucky. They, they can just go outside and enjoy right now and not getting sucked in, especially in Corona time, all the time we spend on our phones now. Well, that, that, that's I, not what you're asking. I agree with that too. Um, but someone who, let's say that their their mental makeup is something where their AI is not interesting to them, or mm -hmm. they're not a tech a technical person. Um, I get what you're saying about bringing the public more in, but what if it's just something that they have trouble understanding? How do you make some? How do you act? I think it is the job of those who are creating this to find a way, and whether that is through art installation, <laughs> whether that's through dance, whether that is through uh, other types of outreach, I think that the people who are creating this have a responsibility for educating the general public. Um, and we pour lots of money into creating this. There are many, uh, this is an artistic podcast, <laughs> there are many, many what talented artists and writers who can, uh, stories, music, songs, there's so many different forms that we can um, reach out to people of all different interests. And it just, it takes a little creativity. Sure. Well, uh, 
I'm inspired to be a citizen scientist, but I'm kind of curious, Janet, that uh, I, I know you're rolling out your CREA, like the online game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll give us a sneak peek about what's your next project after that. Okay, what's the next project after that? Uh, good, good question. Um, so I can tell you a little bit more about um, uh, another. So okay, actually, okay. Uh, we also have a game uh, that's very timely. It's called Corona Minister. Um, yes, and it is a modeling game where the participants can um, uh, choose to turn on and off different types of uh, restrictions. So in the beginning of it, they get to choose their own challenge. So they say, I want to be centered towards personal freedoms. I want to be um, uh, centered on um, uh, the the, the highest uh, health protection possible. So they get to pick it themselves. We don't tell them which which one they should go towards. And then they sort of toggle on and off different uh, constraints. Um, so they can say, I want everyone to wear masks and they can see an effect from it or at closed borders and different levels of social distancing, whatnot. So this is, it's part of a, a larger project that both gets a sense, uh, is both educational, but also collects data on what people's gut reaction is. So we can then understand a little bit more about how people, um, initially react. And that sort of falls into this big category. We're doing um, quite a bit of research also generally on um, a human behavior, individual and collective. So how do people react individually and how do they react as a group? Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see what the next steps are. There, that game was actually live, so anyone can go out uh, and play it now. Yes, you can be your own Corona minister. <laughs> um, and as, as I said, it's um, both educational and self-reflective um, so that people can think a little bit about all the decisions that have to be made. Um, and we uh, do not uh, prescribe any right or wrong way, say you should do this or you do that, but you yourself can say, I want to aim towards this goal and then see, okay, what do I have to do to aim towards that goal? So what have you found so far? What, what has uh, come out of people playing this game? We are uh, still collecting data. So we have not done uh, data analysis on that, but uh, sit tight for that. Okay. How, how does one play the game? You have, can you share the URL? Yes, I can. If you just go to scienceathome.org, the uh, the head of the page says, uh, "Deal with difficult dilemmas policymakers face during the Corona pandemic. Become the Corona Minister." Awesome. On on that note, I encourage everyone to go to your website. Is there other ways to keep in touch with your work, with you, find out the latest, greatest? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you can uh, see us, uh, my uh, organization, Science at Home, Center for Hybrid Intelligence on Twitter, uh, on Facebook. You can also follow me on uh, Facebook and Twitter um, and LinkedIn uh, for, for the latest news. Uh, if you want to uh, learn more about the technical aspects of Crea Blender, we just published our first pilot study on that. So um, that's going to be in uh, Kai Play. Um, a Kai Play track publication. Um, and so you can read more on the science side of that. We also have lots of uh, blog posts and different projects. Right now, I think there are about eight different games um, that you can play on um, our website for different types of citizen science, ranging from natural science to, uh, 
to social science and cognitive science. So I encourage you all to become a citizen science scientist uh, and engage in your creative uh, problem solving uh, skills. Awesome. If you guys have been inspired to be citizen scientists, please leave that in the comments for the UN YouTube channel. <laughs> But this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for having me. You, that was a lovely chat. Absolutely. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you. Mm -hmm.